Can video games be poetic? Well, Jordan Magnuson, an independent game designer and this episode's guest, thinks they can. More precisely, he thinks that the kinds of games he and other creators make are poetic. Or to put it in yet another way, he thinks that lyric poetry specifically is a good lens with which to think about these games that he and others make, since they are quite different to mainstream, competitive, skill-based, realistic, and narrative video games. He's written a whole book about this, it's called Game Poems, published this year, open access by Amherst College Press, which by the way means that you can read it free online as an ebook, link is in the episode notes. And in celebration of its publication, Jordan came all the way to Amherst to speak with us in person at the Chi Think Tank. I had the pleasure of interviewing him with a live audience as an intern at Amherst College Press, which is a first for this podcast and a first for myself. And for this special occasion, I invited another person to join in the fun, Evelyn Chi, my good friend and a former intern at ACP, who came onto the podcast and I think made this conversation all the more enjoyable. So with all that said, you can already tell that this is a very special episode of The Office Hours, so let's just get straight into it. Sit back, relax, and get ready for Office Hours with Jordan Magnuson. <laughs> so, <laughs> welcome everybody to this very special first time live event. Let me introduce our two lovely guests. We have Jordan Magnuson, a video game designer and author of this book, Game Poems. It is a book published with Amherst College Press. I'm an Amherst College Press intern this year, and Evelyn is our third voice on the mic today, and she was an ACP intern last year and is coming back to make me feel less nervous <laughs> and to hopefully add to the conversation. So before we get started, Jordan, thank you for coming all the way to Amherst. Could you briefly introduce yourself to us? Yes. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, Priscilla and Evelyn for being part of this conversation uh, and, and to the audience for coming. really appreciate it. Always excited to talk about video games and, and, and poetry, naturally. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to, to a fun conversation. And, yeah, I'm just a kind of a long-time uh, experimental game developer and maker. About 15 years or so, I've been making kind of little um, strange experimental video games um, that I've often kind of thought of as a form of poetry or, or poetic practice, but often struggled to find the language to actually explain what I meant by that to, to anybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So that's sort of why this project came about. You know, I was like, I've got to figure out how to explain what I do to, to people in a way that uh, makes a little bit of sense. Yes, and, and so. you wrote this book to explain all this. Exactly, and, right. And uh, this book also includes a sort of how-to mm-hmm. of how to begin making your own game poems, which I think is very helpful and interesting. Um, and I didn't actually tell you this, but before our Zoom meeting, I, I tried to make my own game poem on Bitly. <laughs> Awesome. Very briefly, and I have like no experience ever in making video games, um, and it was pretty fun. So you know, recommend it to you all. <laughs> that is so cool. Uh, five <laughs> five stars, ten stars for uh, for doing that. And and Evelyn, this book came out 
did it come out while you were an intern at ACP? Yeah, we actually looked through some of the covers and like we're choosing between fonts and um, so that was exciting. I got to work on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And before we move on, could you also briefly introduce yourself? Yeah, so hi, I'm Evelyn. I use she pronouns. I'm a junior here at Amherst uh, and I was a previous intern at Amherst College Press. Um, I'm an English and SWAGS double major. SWAGS is our woman and gender studies major. And yeah, I'm excited to be here and learn and also act confused (laughs) about game poems so that I can clarify things to the audience. Yeah. Perfect. So since we're talking about game poems, Evelyn, are you a gamer? I'm actually not. I don't think (laughs) I would call myself a gamer, but I've played the occasional Wii game growing up, like Super Mario Bros, Mario Kart. Mm -hmm. The, the weed, like, tennis, bowling, yes. oh, yeah. those games, so, yeah. Yeah, and I'll just add my own disclaimer here as well. I, I do not self-identify as a gamer. Um, I also mostly game through playing Switch with my friends. And, yeah. and I should also probably come out and say that <laughs> I do not self-identify as a gamer either, so <laughs> <laughs> that makes three of us. <laughs> but I do play the occasional video game. Yes. So... Now that we've introduced ourselves, let's talk about game poems. And this is a very new term, maybe, to people. At least it was for me. Was it for you, Evelyn, before you came into contact with this book? Yeah. And to start off our conversation, we thought it might be useful to show you one example of a game poem. But Jordan, Mm. I know you don't want this to be the game poem or you know right right like it's no I, I think that's a, a great idea um and a great way to start but right it, it is kind of like showing someone say um a poem as an example of of poetry right it's mm-hmm. uh, there's obviously a very expansive space there just for people to, to bear in mind right not to think too narrowly about what the confines are here yeah so the the game poem we thought we'd start with is also one i think you start with in the book mm-hmm. uh it's passage by jason Roar. Roar, yep, yep. From 2007. Has anyone in this room played this game before? No? Okay, that's perfect. Because <laughs> for our first live playthrough of a game, we would like to humbly ask for an audience volunteer to play Okay, so as we listen to myself nervously and somewhat desperately asking an audience volunteer to come up and play the video game, let me explain what is going on here. So I wanted to show you, the listener and the audience, what it was like to play Passage for the first time. And to do this in sound, we asked an audience volunteer, it was Arden, to play it for the first time, projected on a screen for the audience, and for Evelyn, who has also never seen the game before, to describe the gameplay. Okay. Arden, do you want to introduce yourself? Um, hi, uh, I'm Arden. I'm a third-year computer science and math major. Are you a frequent video game player? I'm not a frequent video gamer, but I've played some games in my time. Okay, but not Passage. Not Passage, no. Okay, so I'm setting the audience up here with what I've already told you. So it's like kind of two people who are unfamiliar with the game trying to stumble through it, you playing it, Evelyn describing it, and hopefully that captures what it's like to play this game for the first time. How does that sound? Sounds great. And then we went straight into it. So right now, there's a character walking on the left. It's like a very... Um, what is it? Eight by eight? What are, like Minecrafty? I don't know the <laughs> the word to describe this. Yeah, pixel, pixel like. Yeah, very pixel like. It's kind of like a bar, so people are moving across the field. 
but you can only see one row of the world, I guess, or like a bar of the world. There's numbers on the right, upper right, that's counting. I'm not sure what it's counting. We're at 46 or 50 right now. Mm-hmm. It's counting up. It's counting the steps. Right, yeah. And now the, the male character has met a female character. There was a heart that popped up between them, by the way. And they're walking to this brick-like road. Okay, so I'm not going to play the entire recording of the playthrough, but basically the characters are in a 2D map. There's only a very thin strip that you can see, thin horizontal strip, and the map is encouraging you to consistently go toward the right. What Evelyn is describing there with the brick-like road is the background of the map. It does keep changing as you advance toward the right through different mm-hmm. stages. I'm not sure what the objective here is. It seems like go right. Arden said it seems like go right. Okay, you're just walking right. Um, what is that? So there is this... Oh, there was this brown block thing that turned into a star when you walked over it? Looks like it. It's like a box that opens and a star pops up. Interesting. Oh, seemed to be stuck. Okay. So Arden keeps going through this maze and then Evelyn makes this observation. I think the characters also changed their clothing, if I'm not mistaken. It seemed like the colors changed. Huh. Oh, they're definitely getting older. Oh, right, yes. So they're changing clothes and also getting older. Like, the the male character is almost bald now. And the female character has graying hair. Interesting. So I would say that this game is a representation of life, (laughs) in a way. We're nearing the end now. They're still going right, slowly. Yeah, it seems like every time you pass a different landscape, the characters are getting older. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we're also getting closer to the closer and closer to the edge of the screen. Right. Yes. That is a good observation. At this point, the room has grown quiet. Watching the game. I wonder if the end number is like a thousand. We'll see. We're we're at seven hundred eleven. Uh oh. Oh no! The woman died. It's just the man, and he's getting slower and slower. He's He's getting hunched over. over. And the music... Oh, never mind. I thought the music would match, but it didn't. (laughs) So he's entering this um, grid pattern landscape where there's no more blocks, and he died. Wow. And now there's a gradient happening and the words passage are appearing. And yeah, now the screen is black. Arden, if if you don't mind me putting you on the spot there, what was that like for you playing that game? Well, I guess the first thing I should say is I've played, I think, some games in a similar vein that kind of try and tell like the story of a life in a couple minutes. And so as soon as I, as soon as Envelin mentioned that they were getting older, I was like, oh, they're going to die at the end. I think it was definitely interesting trying to figure out what the different environments meant, like in stages of their lives. But I, I kind of, I, I knew they were going to die. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you very much, Arden. Thank you I'll let you go. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for playing. All right. Um, what about you, Evelyn? What, what was that like witnessing that for the first time? 
Yeah, it was really interesting. I had no idea what was going to happen. I honestly thought from the starting point, I thought it would be like a Mario kind of thing where you would jump and there would be some objective where you collect things, like coins or something, but ended up being a very straightforward game where you basically just walk in one direction. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the representation of the characters getting old allows for some poetic symbolism. I don't know, interesting interpretations of it. Yeah, for sure. The, the first time I played this, I was reading Jordan's book and prepping this interview in Frost Library, and then I like pulled it up as the book tells you to and played it. And I was just like, oh, I don't, I don't know. That, that was just my first reaction, like, oh, that, that, that happened. Uh -huh. And actually, when I played it for the first time, I didn't find the woman. Mm -hmm. So I was alone. Um, and I didn't oh, know. Really? Yeah, because you have to go have to right find... for some right. time before you find the woman. I just went straight down. That's, that's when the first uh, time I played, I did that yeah. as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, and then, and then afterwards, I, I went back to my dorm and played it again. And hmm. I found that you could. Um, find the woman and, mm. and then you're linked together and you walk together but then it's harder to navigate the maze when you're you have two people because mm. you're like wider mm -hmm. um, whereas mm -hmm. with one person it was much easier to go through the passage mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so Jordan I guess um, when did you first encounter this and why'd you open your book with it um, yeah so I, I, I played this game uh, for the first time probably relatively shortly after it was released um, probably in, in like 2008 I think I, I found it to be kind of expansive in terms of thinking about what video games are right or what video games do it was doing something different than most video games that I was familiar with and that I was playing. I'd been interested for a while in kind of this idea of like how, you know, is there kind of more possibility space within the medium of video games than seems to be the case back in like the early 2000s and, and such. I had this interest in the medium, but was feeling a little bit um, maybe disenchanted in a certain way, kind of in terms of the, the possibility space. And playing Passage, I think, kind of started, started me thinking about, you know, alternative possibility spaces. Um, like you said, you know, there were certain things in here, right? That are, it, it borrows things from classic video game iconography and stuff and, and things like the points going up, right, and, and the pixels and, and the maze. And, and like you said, you, at first you thought, oh, maybe it's going to be something kind of like Super Mario or something, right? Mm -hmm. There's these familiar video game elements, but then it unfolds into something that's quite different from... From most video games, um, especially certainly in 2007, I had started making video games back when I was 11 or 12. And yeah, playing this in 2008 really kind of reignited my interest in video games in a lot of ways and got me interested to kind of go back and start making games again, mm. or it was part of that process. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and that's why I kind of opened the I opened the book with it kind of for two reasons. One is that it had this significant impact on my own trajectory of, of my creative practice. And then also because from a game studies perspective or historical perspective, right, the game came right around a time when people were first starting to talk about, say, making video games as a kind of poetic practice um, mm -hmm. and use um, terms like poem games or game poems. And so I felt like it was kind of a good example for those reasons to open the book with and then use as, as a bit of a through line um, mm -hmm. in the book, yeah. When you encountered this game, did it position itself as a game poem or was it just the discourse around it? Um, yeah, no, so there was very little disc. I mean, I, again, it's like there wasn't sort of a, a clear moment when people were suddenly like, oh, game poems, or that's something, <laughs> you know. You know, I've been in dialogue with Jason Rohrer at different points over the years, and um, he had an interest in poetry, and I think at, at different times talked about, say, like putting games together the way a, a poet kind of puts 
uh, words together and, and things like that. Um, but there wasn't, he didn't have, say, like a, a clear concept of a, of a game poem practice or necessarily what a game poem was from my understanding. Um, and then likewise, various creators after that started, you know, initially talking about things like making, say, examples in real-time poetry or doing some, some things like this, right? And then over the years, there had been a little bit, again, of, of kind of back and forth and people using these kinds of terms and occasionally talking a little bit about what this might mean. But, but for the most part, not a whole lot of, of dialogue, either in game studies or in popular discourse, uh, working through kind of these questions of like, well, what, is, what actually is a game poem? What, what, might, uh, what, what, they, what might that mean? Um, and, yes. and why does it matter, right? Why, why does that help us or, or, or uh, you know, why does that offer anything? Um, so that's, that's kind of why, again, I wrote the book at, at this stage. Yes. And, and these are the questions that we will try to answer in the next 20 minutes. <laughs> um, so, so in the book, right after you tell the reader to play passage, you quote this poem by Ezra Pound in a station of the metro, the apparition of these places in the crowd, petals on a wet black bow. Um, and for me, I remember reading this poem in high school mm. in a context where I think it was a, an oral exam where the teacher gave me this poem, and, and this is the full poem, and then like I had to analyze it in person mm. uh, to my teacher, and I remember encountering it and being like, oh, that feels new. Like It's so short. It's two lines. And because it's so short and it only has two lines, the title matters so much, and you know, just that feeling of this is very different. And that's how I felt when I played Passage for the first time as well. Hmm. So, Evelyn, um, with all the games you've played and then watching Passage, like, did Passage still feel like a video game to you? Because I feel like that's mm. one of the questions of, like, in what ways is this still a video game? Right. Yeah, I think it felt like a video game in that there was an objective and that was the end, as in you have to go as far right as possible. Mm. It was unclear what the objective was, so for a long time I was like, are we just going to do this forever? <laughs> like, <laughs> the number is just increasing, the right side is just, it keeps appearing, like what is the end goal? Um, and so in that way I think it's very different from most video games, because most video games tell you from the beginning of like, this is the destination, you have to do this race three times, or you have to get, you know, the highest amount of whatever. Uh-huh. Um, and so that's why I was also confused by the score, because usually the score tells you, you know, you're collecting something. I didn't understand that the score was you basically just walking, which I think is also unusual. Mm-hmm. By the score, you mean the numbers on the right, the numbers corner, on in the, the right that kept um, increasing. Mm-hmm. So I think in that way, it was like the objective was unclear, but it still felt like a game in that there was a maze mm-hmm. where you had to avoid things. Mm-hmm. I remember Arden getting stuck in some places, so there's some problem solving in that area. But I also was wondering, like, usually for games, you have to beat something or someone, mm-hmm. and that is not the point of this. I guess that's, like, another unusual thing of, like, there's no competition here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for, for game poems, Jordan, in your book, you make it very clear that they still have to be video games. So I guess, like, one dumb question to start is, what is a video game? <laughs> yeah, no, excellent, excellent question. Not a dumb question at all. Um, yeah, the, my, my point there is obviously not that, you know, everyone should be making video games or that people need to make interactive art and call it, you know, a video game or anything else, right? Um, what I'm kind of looking at is sort of specifically this intersection of video games and poetry. And for that particular intersection to exist, 
you do need to position what you're making in some way relative to video games, right? Otherwise, it's, it's not going to be an intersection uh, with video games. Um, and so I think, Evelyn, you, you were making a lot of great points in terms of like, ah, oh, things that, you know, were odd here didn't really seem like much of a video game in this way or that way. Um, game poems to me are definitely in this space where they are positioning themselves in relation to video games in some regard, right, while also definitely kind of pushing out and challenging conceptions mm -hmm. of what a video game can do or what a video game can be. Mm -hmm. We have certain expectations about like, oh, you know, games should have certain kinds of clear rules or objectives and you should, there should be a winner and, you know, all this different kinds of, it should be fun maybe, <laughs> you know. Um, I think game poems are challenging potentially all those different kinds of assumptions, but at the same time, if they are going to be, I call it a form of video game poem, they do need to have that, that video game positioning. And so for something like Passage, one way that people do this kind of at the first level is just an intentional positioning of what you're making, right? And you can do that by, by say, calling it a video game, right? You can do that by um, distributing it next to other video games. And that's something like with Passage, Jason Rohr was very intentional about calling it a video game, talking about it in connection to other video games. You know, it's very different to encounter something, say, on a video game distribution site like Steam or something, or to encounter it in an art gallery, for example, right? You're, yeah. These are very different framings. And Passage has certainly been shown in art galleries, and, and I'll sometimes show my work in art galleries and then also distribute it places, you know, but, but those framings um, are significant, right? And then it impacts, like, what you're kind of expecting or what you're, you're thinking about what this thing might be. So, yeah, mm -hmm. so I think that, that positioning aspect, and then also this family resemblance thing, like, mm -hmm. you know, taking kind of, maybe it's some classic video game iconography, maybe it's points, um, maybe it's, you know, getting these treasures and, and having this star go out, um, which also does increase your point value when that oh, does happen. Okay. Um, that was the reason I why. did not notice that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's easy to miss. Um, or even sometimes, right, like some of the things I make are, are further from video games than this is. Um, and maybe all they have really connecting them is the idea of like a player controlled avatar. Mm. In that situation, right, it's, it's relying even more heavily on the framing of the experience, right? And the fact that I'm calling it a video game or I'm positioning it or placing it next to other video games um, as this intentional sort of challenge. Yeah. You, you talk about the player controlled avatar a lot in your book, I think. Hmm. Like, do you think that is the one thing that makes a video game a video game and not like a video? <laughs> Uh, no, no, I wouldn't say I'm afraid I can't. I, I wouldn't say that it's, it's as clear-cut as that mm -hmm. uh, for me. I mean, you think of something like uh, Bejeweled, right? And it's like there's no avatar in a game like that, right? Um, I don't think it's as simple as because you're right I do mention the like the avatar a lot because it's like I often work with that uh, with uh, player controlled avatars in a lot of the games I make um but I think I think it's sort of just a slew of different things if you made a game that say featured jewels that looked a little bit like the bejeweled jewels for example and even if the game was nothing like that right there'd be some kind of reference there um so there's lots of different ways I think oh, that you can okay. you know whether it's um controls whether it's iconography but there's um I think a lot of different ways to potentially um connect to video games. I don't think it's kind of one thing or, okay. or another automatically. Yeah. I, I have to say, I did not know what you were talking about with Bejeweled, but I'm gathering now that it's like a Candy Crush kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, sorry. Um, it's the Bejeweled version I, I of Candy Crush. I should have, yes. yes. And yeah. Candy Crush, I think, that's maybe is, is, no the more, is the more popular game, so that's, yes. the, one, that's <laughs> the one I should have, that's the one I should have mentioned. <laughs> candy Crush. Yes. Yeah. So there's no avatar, but you're still interacting with it, I guess. If there's no interaction, then it's not really a game. If there's no inter, then it would be hard. Yeah, it's it. 
You know, I've, I've definitely pushed as hard as I can on that interactive piece. I've made game where you just, all you do is hold down a space bar. <laughs> um, so I've pushed as hard as I can on that. Um, I do think it's, I think if you lose the interactive element completely, that's that's a pretty hard, you know, yeah. that, that'd be pretty hard um, to, to still position as a video game. But, um, you know, maybe possible, <laughs> maybe in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Now that we've talked about the game piece, Let's let's talk about the poem piece. So I guess Evelyn, you already said some things that were kind of poetic about passage. I think he said like, or Arden, like the different stages of the game passage, like the different backgrounds, made you wonder whether it's symbolic of different life stages or what it means. Like something about passage makes you want to find symbolism or want to interpret it, want mm. to be like, oh, this is a game about life, about growing old, and. I don't know. I feel like that's maybe not a response you get with every video game to play it and then be like, oh, what is this saying? What is this representing? So I guess, what else about Passage felt poetic to you? I, I don't want to put you on the spot too much, but... <laughs> yeah, I, ha I have some thoughts. I think the first thing was the man, like the characters themselves. Like you said how the first time you played it, you couldn't find the woman. But when Arden played it, he immediately found it. So I think that in itself is symbolic of, like, sometimes you find a partner and sometimes you don't and you go, like, throughout life, I don't know, single. Like, maybe that is, like, one message. But I think, yeah, the way that the game specifically puts, like, people as the avatar, I think is significant and that these people are getting older. It's a representation of you going through life. Um, I think that has a lot of poetic symbolism. Just the general objective of the game just being like, you go right, there's like one direction. Mm -hmm. That could be an interesting point of analysis of like, is life really all one direction? Or mm -hmm. like, what what do those um, blocks also represent? Mm -hmm. Like, because it's a maze, there's things in your way. Um, yeah, I think that can all lead to interesting discussion. Yeah, I think what you're saying is like, Partly maybe because the game is so simple. Mm. The blocks are very simple shapes. Um, and also it's subtle. Like, the avatars growing older is something, like, it took us a while to realize. Right. Like, mm -hmm. I think it, it went through several stages of change before you guys were like, oh, they're, <laughs> yeah. they're changing clothes. And, like, that's, that was my experience, too. I think I didn't notice until he went bald. But, like, <laughs> it was like, oh, like, I think part of the poetic feeling you get from playing it is how subtle it is like it's not in your face mm -hmm. like there's no pop-up screen saying you're growing older or like move right you know the the fact that these are very subtle yet simple encourages you to try to interpret it I think mm -hmm. yeah yeah absolutely yeah and and part of my interest is was sort of I guess maybe meta question about like well why you know why are we interested in in these questions or why why, do, why might we mm -hmm. raise these questions about this game and and of course in a setting like this right it's like it's kind of loaded right because it's like we're here talking about <laughs> game poems and like we're right so it's like we're, we're we're here to to take a look and think about these things, um, but I think there is this interesting question of like why you know how how does this game get you to ask questions or think about it in a little different way than, than you might think about a typical video game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so just to further develop what is a game poem, mm -hmm. um, in the book you talk about lyric poetry and you use lyric poetry specifically to narrow down what you're talking about when you say poem. Mm -hmm. So could you just explain a little bit about what lyric poetry is and why you've chosen it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So 
And a word like poetry, I think, is, is, is easily overwhelming. Um, there's a very sort of strong mystical undertone, right, um, in terms of how we use the word poetry or, or poetic. And uh, I'm definitely not a, you know, a, a poetry scholar by training, but, but um, definitely have, have always loved poetry and, and just kind of as an amateur kind of went in and started looking at what could be a poetry lens that I might be able to go um, kind of out of this mystical sphere and, and start making some practical observations and, and maybe connections. And that's where um, lyric poetry kind of stood out to me as, as this kind of conception that on the one hand has come to mean sort of almost all poetry in a way, or, or, or a lot of what we talk about when we talk about poetry in, in the West. So on the one hand, it's very expansive, but on the other hand, you know, it has kind of like these these historically grounded ideas and norms that kind of inform our ideas about what poetry is, what it's been. Um, and in the one sense, it's problematic. You know, it's like literary poetry has, has sort of a problematic, you know, history in a lot of different ways and lyricization. But at the same time, it's kind of the, the tradition that even for avant-garde or experimental poets, you're kind of pushing back against kind of those normalizations of like, this is kind of defines or, or informs our, our understanding of what poetry is. And, and since video games, since we haven't had a lot of conversation about, you know, what video game poems could, could be or how poetry might relate to video games, it seemed natural to look at the kind of expansive, you know, kind of core of like, okay, what we think about when we think about poetry. Um, so that's why I chose lyric poetry mm-hmm. um, kind of as, as a starting place. And basically, you know, went, went to a lot of poetry scholars and lyric scholars and brought back these ideas of what can we say? What can we say kind of practically about lyric poetry? And then kind of brought those over to video games, right? Yeah, to let, kind of let's say, go through yeah. some of them. So yeah. from what I can remember, I don't want to spoil the whole book, but um, <laughs> lyric, lyric poems are short, is the point you make. Right, And yes. this Ezra Pound poem is short. Passage was pretty short, considering mm-hmm. that some video games take people, like, years to play. Um, what else do you think is, like, two or three that... Yeah, yeah, should... so, like, um, a short, um, like, like subjective kind of... Ten- there tends to be this kind of focus often on, like, uh, inner experience and inner world, right? Things that can't be objectively judged. Yeah, I feel like that ties back to what you said, Evelyn, about the avatars being people, like, mm. made you really consider this is a subjective experience of, like, you, me, as a player, growing right. old, mm-hmm. thinking about me going through life, like yeah. avatars going through life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should we flesh out some of these things now, or should we should we list a few more of the, the characteristics? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. like um, ritual space um, versus narrative space is one thing that a lot of uh, scholars will talk about, right? That that uh, lyric poetry tends to be defined by kind of this ritual experience that's not necessarily about narrative per se, right? Um, or that might have more of a, a, a truth claim element to it. Um, and be more about the present experience of interacting with the thing rather than sort of the story of what happens, um, which is interesting, right? Because in video games, people are often interested in kind of the narrative element. That's another one. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got an interest in metaphor, obviously, and kind of ambiguous imagery. What am I leaving out here? I've got, um, <laughs> I'll use the cheat sheet. Um, <laughs> the table of contents. Yeah, table of contents here. Uh, all right, poetic address. Um, hyperbole is an interesting characteristic of lyric poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I, I want to pause here a little bit because we've said a lot of things, and I apologize for my bad time management here. But just to take a pause, Evelyn, how are you feeling? How are you feeling on your grasp of what is a game poem? Right. For a couple of minutes, I was sitting here being like, "What is a lyric poem?" <laughs> but you guys just answered the question, so I'm feeling better. Okay, um, I'm glad. I'm glad. And if I can summarize. Like a lyric poem is short, it relies on metaphor, it's subjective, mm-hmm. it uses ritual. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. I didn't completely understand yeah. that point, but... 
Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a, and that is one of the, probably won't dive too deeply into that because it's one mm-hmm. of the more nuanced points I think people okay. make, right? But but kind of an attempt to separate uh, the idea of lyric poetry from, say, narrative traditions, right? Oh, okay. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of interest in narrative, broadly speaking, right? And has been right. for a long time. And so one thing people are interested with, with like poetry is kind of uh, thinking about, well, how is it different from uh, narrative texts? I see. Right. So this mm-hmm. idea that there's something a little bit different than, than, a, than a fictional narrative going on yeah. oftentimes is the, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I think understanding lyric poetry makes me understand game poems more because I guess you're saying that lyric poems are kind of a representation almost of game poems and that they are poetry, but they're like trying to challenge the norms of poetry or they're still poetry but different and that's how I understand game poems of like Mm -hmm. they're video games but different because they have poetic meaning or allow people to imagine poetic meaning to it Mm -hmm. is that a good summary or like yeah they they use the same devices which like Mm. they the game poem employs metaphor Mm. the game poem is trying to emphasize subjective experience like the mm-hmm. avatar going through life right um the game poem encourages you to try to interpret its symbolism and its metaphors and as for the ritual thing like i think how the book explained it really well is like a narrative a story a novel say is describing an experience like mm-hmm. describing a story describing a character experience something mm-hmm. but a poem is in itself an experience. Like reading a poem, ah, okay. memorizing a poem, reciting a poem mm. is the experience. Right. And, and playing passage was the event. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a character in a video game going through an event. Right. And okay. you playing the game is the event. Right, right. Uh, another way I like to think about it is that, you know, for, for narrative media, oftentimes we can kind of, you know, you can kind of say summarize the, the narrative, say, for somebody, and they might understand the resonance of the narrative. But with, with poetry, oftentimes it's, it's a little harder to do that, right? You know, it's like, well, that doesn't quite, you kind of have to read the poem, right, to do it. And, and I think that's that's something where, where it's like, if you describe the the narrative element of what happens when you play Passage, you know, it can be like, well, you, you, you know, you press the right arrow key and you go to the right. And, you know, I think I maybe got, you know, hooked up with someone and then we died. Um, and it's not, <laughs> you know, it's not particularly interesting, um, I think, mm. from, from, from that standpoint of relaying the story. But, uh, but yeah, I think for, for me, like what the first part of my book is about is basically, can this lyric lens kind of help us to um, kind of understand, appreciate, and, and kind of have something to say about a game like Passage that other lenses might have a harder time with, right? Can, mm-hmm. it, can it help us kind of understand something about, about this video game and its positioning um, in mm-hmm. the world? Yeah. Okay, so we're running out of time, but I want to ask you one more juicy question about the theory of game poetry. Yeah. So... You just said the the words lyric lens, and mm. I, I just want to underline that for everyone, that the point of the book is not to like give a list of criteria about what a game poem is. Instead, you're trying to use lyric poetry as a lens, as a way to look at these certain kinds of video games and bring out elements of it that you might not otherwise notice if you were just trying to think about it as a video game. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely am not interested in kind of creating some kind of calcified idea, right, of like, oh, this is what a game poem is and this is what it has to be mm-hmm. and you should try to make that, you know, that's that's definitely not what I'm interested in. You know, I'm, I'm interested in just kind of increasing our appreciation um, of some of these short, unusual video games and, and like this idea of can a lyric lens, can a poetry lens just help us do that, right? Can it help us talk about some things appreciate some things about these games yeah Mm -hmm. and so my my question about that is 
Are there aspects to these games that you think make it different from other video games and are unique and special about it and unique to why it's so effective, but that you think the lens of lyric poetry does not bring out? Like, it goes beyond. Mm. Like, the, the lens is insufficient to bringing out a certain element of these games that you really like or that you think is really special? Oh, that's a great question. That is a juicy question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let me think about that. Um, I mean, I guess like what I would say, like, because I I, I tend to think of video games generally um, as, right, some people think of video games as like a subset of games. So you like have like a a big game bubble, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have video games in there, right? And And by games, you mean like board games and, and rock, paper, scissors. Right, right, like all kinds of games, yeah. right? And then video games is a subset of games, right? And, and that's not really how I think about video games. I, I tend to think of video games as this like big kind of amorphous cloud where you have all these different kind of traditions and types of media that go into like this idea of what a video game is, right? So like game would be one of them, right? Like narrative is something mm-hmm. that connects to a lot of video games, computational media or interactive media, right? That would be part of it, right? And then like with this, I'm like bringing in like the, this kind of poetry bubble and being like, well, mm-hmm. poetry interacts with this concept of video games too um, but right but I see it as this yeah the kind of big amorphous concept that, that has all these different connections all over the place it's very complex it's a very complex medium and so I definitely think that the poetry lens while it helps us I think get at for, for me it helps me get at a lot of things or, or talk about a lot of things say about like short games like this that other lenses have missed it certainly doesn't provide say like a, a complete or holistic picture to me of like say like what passage is as an artifact mm-hmm. right um, I would say that there are significant ways in which passage is a poem um, and that that allows us to talk about some interesting things about it right but that lens does not help us at all say talk about the computational nature uh, of passage and and what's going on or or passage sort sort of as it exists as a collection of code, um, and and as it exists as as software that runs on platforms and mm-hmm. stuff right like that that the poetry lens really does not um, help us it you know so that's just one example um, in the sense that like I do think these are artifacts um, that are very interesting and very complex and can be studied from a huge wide range of, of different perspectives. And I think that the poetry lens offers some, I think, fresh and interesting things to say. But certainly, I'd say there, there's all kinds of perspectives that would get at other aspects of the games that, um, that a poetry lens would, would miss completely. So that was our conversation with Jordan Magnuson about game poems in a more theoretical sense. But his book is not just about lyric poetry and how it can be applied to video games. The second half of his book actually concerns more game poetry as a poetic practice, and his reflections and advice on how to get started making your own game poems. So as we turn to the audience for a live Q&A, we encourage them to ask more about this and also just to ask any questions they had for Jordan. So I had a question about your creative process. Um, When you're making a game poem or a game or a poem, do you tend to start with the idea you want to communicate, or if there is one, or do you start with like a gameplay mechanic or a meter if it's a poem, or for lack of a better word, like a gimmick and or something else entirely? And how does it flow into the rest of the work as you create it? Yeah, that's a great question. My creative process, I'd say, is is sort of all over the place. Um, <laughs> broadly speaking, I think. Um, you know, what I'm interested in is oftentimes with my, my game poems is expressing or communicating something about some experience I have 
um, in the world, um, something that, that uh, jumps out at me, something that inspires me, something that moves me, something that, you know, what, whatever it is, something that scares me. And I end up wanting to, you know, since this is sort of my medium, I, I say like, okay, I want to, you know, how do I, how do I make uh, a video game about that? And, and then in terms of how to do that, right, like the, the, the practical work, um, I think that's the, you know, where the rubber meets the road, I guess. And I don't think I have, I don't have a, a process that's sort of like the, you know, one, two, three, check <laughs> off the dots and right, because it's like for all these things, what I have is I have my experience with video games, I have my experience, um, you know, thinking about studying game design, thinking about all the most, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in sort of the most basic building blocks of video games and kind of like how you can put them together in different ways to do different things. And, and I've been thinking about these things and, and designing games for a long time, you know, but it still doesn't sort of instantly hit me like, oh, yeah, you know, if you want to express such and such, and such a moment of existential longing, right, just put like the jumping mechanic with the, <laughs> uh, you know, certain point system and, and there you go. Um, and so I always start with like, I have no idea how to how to make that game, you know, whatever I'm thinking about. And, you know, it, it tends to, you know, it, it will bump around in, in my head for 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 you know days or weeks or years sometimes i've got i've got things you know that it's like i've been trying to make games about for 15 years <laughs> that i still it still hasn't gotten there right and the practical side i think i like doing uh game jams and things like that where you like take a prompt and then think about it in an unusual way right and just try to make a game about something right and i think doing that kind of practice maybe i'll be messing around trying to, to make a game about uh, a certain mechanic with certain constraints um and then maybe that'll connect to some other, you know, thing that I want to make a game about or, or whatever, right? It's a messy process, I guess. That's uh, that's that's the long and the short of it. But uh, I don't know if that does, does that kind of answer at all, like your question or, or, yeah, yeah, or okay. Thank you. Yeah, great question. Hi. So I'm really interested in your use of the words poetics and poetic practice mm. because the few times that I've encountered poetics like as an academic term, it comes, I think, as a descriptor of some kind of social or creative language being deconstructed. And mm. it has a very utopian connotation to mm. me. You've kind of touched on this here with both how Passage subverts classic, classic video game norms with its point system and with lyric poetry diverging from narrative practice. So I think my question is, what does poetic practice mean to you, like more explicitly? And do your game poems function as a ritual space the way you intend them to for your audience? Mm. Like just that production process. Yeah, no, that's that's a, a, a really great question. And, and can you just uh, maybe clarify or, or say a bit more about when do they function as a ritual space for my audience? Like, could you say a bit more about that? Well, you describe lyric poetry intersecting with video games in part as being like a ritual space or mm. like an experience mm. more so than something didactic, mm -hmm. I guess, sure, like sure. very interpretive and yeah. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. I think if I'm understanding your question correctly, I think that's sort of what I do in the second half of the book because it's in, you know it's it's fun to talk about like different lyric characteristics and how that can provide an interesting lens for kind of like reading different video games and stuff. It's a related but also different question to talk about like well what does it mean to like make a video game as as like a form of poetry right because it's probably not like oh just like throw in a bunch of lyric characteristics and then it's poetry right. Um, to me. 
uh, I think a large part of why I think about my work as a, as a form of poetic practice is this idea that's been kind of expressed by a number of different poets at different points, but like uh, Percy Shelley, for example, talks about poetry as helping us um, see the world in a new light, kind of making familiar things as, the, as if they're not familiar, right? And so we can kind of see things in a new way. When I'm making my games, I'm really interested in people coming away from my video games and maybe seeing something out in the world in a slightly fresh light, in a slightly new way. Mm. Um, so like when I, I made like this very simple game called Portraits of My Child, um, that's a heavily constrained game about my son's first year of life. And it's the kind of thing where it's like, I hope that in the context of playing that, someone might, you know, see this yellow screen that comes up at this moment with this like bleep sound. And in the context of that game, it's connected to my son's smile and that they might come out, right, and like see somebody's smile in a slightly different way, right? And that might be slightly fresh having kind of encountered this metaphor, uh, this interactive metaphor. And also at the same time that people's experience of other video games can kind of be like mm. refreshed a little bit. Is that, does that kind of make sense a little bit? Yeah, that's great. About? Okay, great. Thank, Thank you so much. much. Yeah. Can we do one more quickly? Yeah, um, this is a little bit more of a game question, I guess, than a poem question, because I don't know much about poetry, but I'm curious. Uh, I was stalking your itch page a little bit earlier, and I noticed the majority of your games, if not, well, not all of them, but they're often very minimalist. They're like pixel art aesthetic, and so was Passage. And I'm curious if you think that's sort of just a design constraint that comes with, I know often, you know, solo developers who maybe don't have a ton of artistic experience, they go the pixel art route. But I'm curious if you think that's also sort of an intentional way of putting a lot of emphasis on really simple mechanics and gameplay. And if you have come across many sort of game poems or not games or, or any of these experimental types of games that have more emphasis on aesthetics and graphics. Yes. So, so <laughs> yes. Uh, so the answer to the last one first, um, like, yeah, there are definitely examples of people using, say, um, alternative aesthetics. Um, I'd say one I'd point to would be like um, The Graveyard uh, by Tale of Tales, which is like a 3D rendered game that I would say is very much kind of a game poem. So I think certainly uh, you can use a variety of aesthetics. And I have done things. I've made some 3D stuff. I've made some VR experiences. But a lot of times, again, I, I'm interested in sort of like these most basic building blocks of video games oftentimes. And, and I think um, one thing I'd like to push back against is the fact that there's this trajectory in video games where like you can kind of look at the history of video games um, in, from one perspective as sort of this quest for higher and higher levels of like indexically grounded realism where, where like the physics and the graphics and the sound will be like so high fidelity that you don't need like any metaphor anymore. You can just be like, oh, that you're just you, right? Like, and, and people will already talk about like oftentimes like first person shooter games, you know, you're running through this hallway doing this thing, right? And they'll just put, you, you know, use you interchangeably because it's like, it's so, you, you can read it so literally. Um, and so I'm interested very much in pushing back against that, that literalism and forcing people into a realm where they're forced to consider metaphor sort of explicitly. And then sometimes I, I often like to use like pixel art because when we had, you know, pixel art going on um, in like say the 8-bit era of like video games and kind of what was happening, we had certain video games being made with that graphic style as part of the history of video games. It's interesting to me to go back and use say like 8-bit style graphics and imagine like an alternative history of video games. Like I made a game called Walking with Magnus, another one about my son. 
and that it's like, you know, you're just like walking with this stroller with this baby, like through these landscapes. And, you know, and it looks like an 8-bit era video game, right? But like that wasn't part of the history of video games, right? Like there was no game about just like walking with your infant son for hours um, when we made 8-bit video games, right? So it's like this, in, this attempt to kind of like reimagine and kind of inject back this idea of like, okay, like when you see 8-bit graphics, you're connecting that with the history of games that we know that we have. But if we, if you use 8-bit graphics to do enough different kinds of games, right, suddenly that changes, it kind of like goes back in time, and now we're changing, right, what you imagine when you see 8-bit graphics. Um, so that's to touch on kind of briefly, like, um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. We are very much out of time. I'm very sorry. Thank you very much, Jordan and Evelyn, for being our guest today. Thank you all for coming out and asking questions and participating. Please take more pizza before you leave and have a good day. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, As for you, lovely listener, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Office Hours podcast. I highly encourage you to now go and play some of the games we mentioned. Passage by Jason Rohrer is very easily searchable on Google, as are Jordan Magnuson's games. A good one to start with is called Loneliness. He also has a bunch of other ones on his itch page. Remember that the book is available to read online open access. It's called Game Poems, Video Game Design as Lyric Practice, published 2023 by Amherst College Press. As you can see, I'm trying to be a bit more experimental with the podcast this semester, so stay tuned for lots more exciting episodes to come. In the meantime, I hope you get to play some excellent video games, read amazing poetry, and maybe next time you play Candy Crush or Mario Kart and see a score counting up, or have to navigate your avatar through a maze, you'll remember this episode and see it a little bit anew. I wish you all the best and goodbye!